your skeletons and shivers down your spine. Shrieking skulls will shock your soul and seal your doom tonight. Spooky, scary skeletons speak with such a screech. You'll shake and shudder in surprise when you hear these zombies shriek. Shit. So, um, right off the bat. <coughs> fuck. <coughs> the thing I need to say first about this, this here episode here, this is 74. This here episode here, its purpose, and I know, you know, you're looking at the title, and you see the title of this episode, and you're like... Wait, there was a part three, there was an ending to that story. Here's a fun fact. I don't do any fucking research, we just read the stories. So I didn't know that there was a whole nother ending written by the same guy told from another person's perspective. This isn't the first time this has happened on the podcast. This has happened at least two other times where we found out we were missing a whole part of a story. And we came back episodes later and decided that was the appropriate time to read it. Nice. Is there any reason you're eating your Oreo like Caniculus? Um, I don't know. It's it's what like Bonfetti ice cream, and I'm just licking it like an ice cream cone. Yeah, really it's, not, it's, it's not weird at all. Is that how you make your money? <coughs> yeah, is that that new job you told me about? Yeah. Where I... Scan items. <laughs> he means his tongue. <laughs> oh, 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 there's so many at once. All these sales. Oh. So, here with me, even though he wasn't here for parts one or two, Franz McBoohoo. <laughs> you know what three means? That's this is best. three. Yeah, exactly. You know what that means? First is the worst. Second is the best. One, two, Third is the shoe. one with the treasure chest. <laughs> if Bill finds treasure, in fact, his whole chest you, cavity you has sleep been outside. removed. It's going to be <laughs> up his, his whole ass. Cavity's been removed, and no. it's just a treasure chest in replace. Stop so it! Like come and of course, so of, the of course, the other person, the other person I'm here with is of course Tenron Otrin. Back from parts one and two. Wouldn't be able to read it without him. A pleasure. A pleasure. Um, and just just so the audience knows. Um, that was my Christoph Waltz impression. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was pretty good. <laughs> it was pretty good. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. You, need, you definitely need to like, and your vowels very precisely. <laughs> Let him like accentuate them. <laughs> Um, oh, he's brilliant. He's fantastic. Um, he's he's the sole reason I'm thinking of seeing that Alita Battle Angel movie. Just yeah. because I love him so much. And I'm, and it's Robert Rodriguez, I'm pretty sure, so I mean, it's probably going to look nice. The action's probably going to be good. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea about that that manga, but I saw Christoph yeah. Waltz in the trailer, I'm like... I think it was early 90s. Oh. I think it was early 90s. So when we were super young... It was it was a really popular manga. It's probably around the same time as um, Astro Boy and shit. Anyway, so the first thing we could talk about is the fact that we are back here continuing this story out of nowhere. Like, from what little you know about it, Tenron, where do you think this is gonna go? Um. Well, this is part three, and. Yeah, but it's a part three told by... Well, Bill. Bill. Bill's perspective. So, 
It'll we know go. that much from the title. It'll go uh, pretty much where it has gone, you know, in part one, you know. Do you think it'll start back that 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 early? Well, maybe not. Maybe after. What about Ira, earlier? Maybe maybe it'll start where when Ira was shot. But there's also there's also some time, you know. I don't know if there's another fucking story out there, but. If you listened to Whistler's or uh, the Whistler episodes we did, fifty nine and sixty, then you know that there that the story kind of starts and they the the story starts with Ruth explaining what situation they're in and that's two people in their group are already dead, not including the helicopter pilot who also died landing the helicopter. But then they lost two of their friends, uh, a male professor of some sort and a, and a woman named Lillian, I think. Yeah. And um, Who died in the helicopter crash? No, they died They died when they got separated around caves of some sort. Oh, That's all yes. the context I remember is they say, do you remember the caves? So, like, what if Bill was taking little notes of his entire fucking trip? What if he started his notes back before even... Even the, the expedition began. What if this is like a Mountains of Madness thing where Ooh. it starts with like his life? Who knows? It, it might Jump also around, like... it might also start right at the fucking end. Interesting. What if it's him deciding to walk back to Red Hill? I, I mean, I doubt it. But what if he needs to just wait out the situation until people come back and he thought Ruth was gone? You know, like maybe, who, who maybe knows? It was an apparition for Ruth. We never saw but... what happened to Bill. This could go in so many ways, but I'm excited because I think it's it's the first story we've really dived into that is multiple episodes. It's multiple parts. You know, it's so it's the like, first like narrative we've taken. It's the first narrative with like a serial. So essentially, the entity that had cap or apprehended him, done something with him, could basically turn around and be like. It's true. Yeah. No, the Jedi, it could. <laughs> the Force. <laughs> all of it. The whistles. The legends. The whistles. The whistles. Who the shot the sheriff? All of it. It's all true. Who shot the sheriff? I. I shot the I sheriff. I thought this whole time you said Bill shot a sheriff. And no, I was no, about no, to no, be no. like, but then who shot the deputy? I, I literally never mentioned a sheriff or a deputy. And you, sir, are out of line. Then maybe... Bill is the sheriff, and the reason why he didn't shoot the deputy is Bill's because a he cuck is of a, a the cuck deputy. of a brother Bill and the sheriff, the brother of a cuck. Sorry, I'm dyslexic a when I'm baked. Cuck. <laughs> Are, no, no, you a might. Cuck. They they might not be Canadian. We just yeah, assume that they everyone could be is in Canada. Now. Have any of the lines? That's a good point. A after, then you would know. I fucking hate you. <laughs> Why am I even here? You know, no. I haven't fucking read your stupid stories, so I'm trying to just input a little bit of impromptu but, comedy. No, no, but to the audience, you were just on the last episode reading. So, like... Well, I don't care what the audience thinks. I do. Do you? So... Then why do we... <laughs> why am I here? Because you like hanging out with me. And dankers. Yeah, I guess, if you want to use me for my shit. Danky bottom... Oh, so, oh, but I do have to say, Tentron, 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 Tentron <laughs> I just titties 
It is a pleasure. It wait, is wait, a pleasure. One more, one more, one more. It is a pleasure. I have to look off in the direction. To, um, to have you here. This it is the first is. show I've done with with you on it, so... No, it's a lie. I was asleep for the other one. You were this asleep is, but this is Which makes like it all the funnier. I'm more in the zone. You were fucking asleep. Because... For Mr. Bear. But Episode not, 54, people. I'm not gonna be asleep for Mr. Mr. Sheriff slash Deputy Dude, Bill. God. This has nothing to do with a sheriff or a deputy. Yeah. You're literally only confusing this yourself. Will. What if... This was like Bill and Zoe from Left 4 Dead. Is there anything you want to talk about before we jump into it? Um, or are you? I feel like because this is a part three, I kind of just want to. I want to dive into in. It. I want to yeah. dive in. The, yeah, I just want to get. Have it. a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, I think we all like to dive in, right? Coonhounds. So life. this one is from Reddit No Sleep. It's, it's called. Quite indeed. <laughs> it's the <laughs> Christoph Waltz, man. <laughs> uh, it's it's called Bill's account. Of the Whistlers, because part two was called Ruth's account of the Whistlers. So this this was um, baby Ruth. <laughs> yeah, it's real original. Yeah, we made that yeah, joke. Yeah, we made that joke. Did you already? Yeah, yeah bud. Well, I yeah, wasn't bud. watching a stupid show. Didn't sh- yeah. Do you want to do you want to start with the, as the guy who is as right, Christoph Waltz? Sure. As, <laughs> as, as the guy who's writing the Reddit No Sleep. <laughs> Hi again, all. Sorry for the delay in bringing you this new installment. Okay. <laughs> that's that's all you wanted to do? That's all I can do. Can I be candy? If this is the first post you've, you've seen, seen about the Whistlers, I would recommend that you read the rules account before Bill's... As she gives a more thorough explanation of what happens. And her journal starts first, chronologically. The person who brought Bill's journal to my attention has asked not to be identified. He insisted on giving me transcripts, not originals. So in this case, what I'm showing you is exactly what I received. As before, neither I nor my source make any claims about the veracity of these documents. What does that mean? Veracity? The truthfulness? Truthfulness. The honesty? The openness? The accuracy? Accuracy. Sure. Context clues. I'm sure many of you will want to know more about the documents themselves but unfortunately my source was not forthcoming. When I asked him how he had acquired Bill's account, I did so many times. His only response was, I didn't. I wish I had more insight to offer you. <laughs> you, you, I don't know. Point, it's very, it's I'm funny because he does, no he talks with his hands. at least as many questions as they answer. The account will be presented. In two parts. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, my turn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is. Oh god. December 7th. December 7th, which means it happened in September. It started September. So this is Red Hill. This is, this is almost exactly. It's almost like two months So this after. is in the middle. This is in the middle of Ruth's account. This is December 7th. December 7th. I know what this is. What? This might be when her, Bill, and Ira ran from the Whistler and she, they all got separated. Interesting, yeah. I know one of these guys. Red Hill. It's her fucking rag, man. She's fucking on her time of the month, and this is about her up and down seven days. You're on that shit for seven days, seventh night. You're nothing but a big frown and a boo-hoo. <laughs> I am multiple boo-hoos. December 7th. 
I've got calluses on my hands from burying my brother. If we're rescued today, I'll have to explain that to someone. So it's Red Hill right after they killed Ira. Yeah, it's right in the middle. Some search and rescue trooper, some forest ranger, will hold my palm to the light of a chopper window and want to know how I managed to rub the heel of my hand wrong. I practice sometimes. I practice what I'll say to people when we get back home. Dr. Harmon, the department head, will need to know how I got Jeff and Lillian killed doing what was supposed to be straightforward field research. They were both his students, handpicked for great things, led astray by the man who wrote his desertion on the Russian Yeti, who taught a cryptozoology class disguised as a folklore survey. I like the background we're getting. He's good. I, I called him uh, a jerk in part two. Yeah. I flat out said, my, I, I gave my position really early Bill's on. Jerk. Bill's a bad man. That's yeah. what I said. Yeah, he's pretty but, much, but, yeah, he's not the best. This is very, I think, pertinent. Yeah. For today, I mean, we are now seeing the other perspective as best we can. Well, first person. Mm-hmm. I and agree. Now that we're at least seeing the other side, <laughs> and, well, you know, maybe Donald Trump isn't that bad at <laughs> as long as he, as long as he protects my straight white male privilege, that's all I care about. I got bumped off the. I started reading like Tommy Wiseau. All right, I got bumped off the tenure track for that. Harmon talked over me in meetings like I wasn't there. Ruth was on the floor with Ira for days after he died. Wouldn't speak. She was holding his dead fingers and fussing to wash all the blood away, crying soundlessly with her mouth open, more like a wheeze. I had to do something, so I picked up her journal, flipped through, all the way back to the night in the dark, the full moon rising and Ira down in a hole. She isn't documenting the whistlers anymore. I'll see her in the corner by the stove sometimes with her notebook, open and the pen just hovering over a page not actually making words she's thin as a scarecrow now and her lips are cracking i wonder about the things that she doesn't write down there are entire days she didn't see fit to make note of then there are other things little details that i don't remember at all things i don't remember saying this is the whole problem with the work we do incompleteness hearsay Two tonight to the north for about an hour after sunset. They separated, seemed to be approaching the lodge from either end of town, then abruptly moved farther away. Nothing concrete but the tracks outside and the marks on Ira. They don't seem willing to bother us inside, but we know that's temporary. They took Sam, the helicopter pilot, right out of the lighthouse kitchen. Something broke the window above the sink. It was pitch black and he yowled like a cat. Ira had the rifle ready. It was dark and rainy, and he aimed for the pilot, for the back of the head. Wow. Still no reception. You listen to static long enough, and it starts to sound like something. So we keep the lounge radio off. Food running low. December 8th. Mom will be at the airport when we're rescued. She'll ask about Ira before she asks about me. I'll have that hanging over me for the rest of my life. Ugh, like Faramir. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. That's a good that's a good analogy. Faramir. Yeah. Oh no! He 
died a warrior. Fairmere that the wrong brother made it out of the wilderness. Cain and Abel. Also a very good comparison. You can never go wrong. Okay. With, you can never go wrong in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Cain and Abel, but he was the marked one. I can already see the disappointment in her eyes. Hear the weepy sighing. I'm sorry he's dead. Not as sorry as I should be. He didn't scream the way Jeff did, didn't scratch and bite like Lillian. He just stared up at me through the blue darkness. Stared as if to concede that the order of things didn't matter. That it could be either of us in the hole, and the outcome would stay the same. The day we're rescued, I'll have to find some way to keep the truth under wraps. Those eyes. Ruth isn't on her feet yet. When I got back from scavenging today, she was at the freezer door again, crying. There's a woman in there, chef. Dead. She's all the evidence we have about what happened at Red Hill. Not enough. We should dig a second grave, but the ground is even harder now. Our bodies are broken. Little wounds, cuts and scrapes, twisted joints and tight muscles. Nothing gets a chance to heal. It's just pain on top of pain and hunger beneath it all. I went back through the houses today, looking for anything we can use. Remember, he went. He, he would just leave. Yeah. She did write about that. That's true. Pointless to write an inventory down. Nobody had supplies to overwinter in Red Hill. Seems even the chef was planning to head south once the winter came in. Three, maybe four whistlers around tonight, very distant, north of us. We've gotten every lantern gathered in the lounge, all of them hanging from the antler chandelier, along with tendrils of dust. It's bright enough to read by, almost enough to feel truly safe. They'll pick their night soon, I imagine. Only heard them briefly, but clear as a bell. So it was disturbing when I commented on it, and Ruth said she didn't hear them. <laughs> she was too busy hearing babies crying, and she was, like, losing her shit. That was really upsetting. They killed a cook. There was a no, female. The cook, the cook was locked in a freezer, and she actually just she just died. Okay, so she starved. There was a woman doing her job in the kitchen, and she was killed. They tell women to stay in the kitchen so they don't get killed. Frowns. I'm touched. I know, right? It took me a little while. She she was making the sandwiches and she got fucked. I agree. My God, am I blind? Have I not seen the truth? God damn it! I didn't see the sandwiches. You are you are you are so loud. <laughs> and my nips are so hard. Mmm. Mmm. Please don't poke me. Ow! Ow! Don't poke me. Oh, sorry, my dick's just reaching across the table. No, it's it's his nipple. No, your nipples. Oh, and my dick. It's like a triforce right now. (laughs) That's great. Lillian's research centered on self-delusion. Something frown suffers. No two descriptions of the Whistlers are exactly alike. There are similarities between accounts, sure. But she thought every victim was complicit somehow. That you could go so long fearing something you can't see. And eventually, you decide what it looks like. You decide what you believe, and then you see what you want to see. 
Ruth woke me up later to say she heard the baby. Fucking A. She kept saying my name and begging me to listen, her nails digging into my arm, her face not an inch away from mine. Catherine's birthday is tomorrow. I didn't say anything. I was afraid of making her cry. Instead, I held her like she was mine, my lips to her forehead. She went back to sleep. I'm not sure how much more of this we can take. I think of the survivor theory all the time, the different permutations of it. If I shoot myself, will they leave Ruth alone? I remembered Kirker Farley, the first trapper I ever interviewed, said the whistling stopped altogether once his last companion was dead. Said he walked out of the woods unmolested and found help. I'd want to walk for at least a day first, make sure she wasn't hassled with burying me. That's how Ira said he would do it. He take the gun and go for a walk. What did he tell her? Rock. Oh God. Tar Rock tarmigan. 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 The word is tarmigan. A rock tarmigan. He was never supposed to come back that day. I guess he never really did. No, I can see the logic say the words, but I can't do it. Ira wasn't the only coward in these woods. So Ira was trying to kill himself? Maybe. So that she would be left alone? He was considering then, it like cause then, Luke considering cause Ira, to kill Ben. Ira would know that Bill would then kill himself to leave her by herself to be safe to leave to go get help. Yeah. Ira could have been looking for a way out when he got taken. Why did the author specifically feel the need to mention that he walked out unmolested. It's like me walking around saying, hey guys, I didn't get molested today. I'm really fucking upset about it. December 9th. <laughs> These are the questions. Ephraim Defoe was the first Whistler scholar to describe the survivor theory. He wrote a paper about it. The idea that the Whistlers are in some way dependent on humans and so will always leave one alive. A living human begets more humans. A survivor tells a story, excites curiosity, leads to more expeditions, more idiots in the woods. It implies long-term thinking on the part of the whistlers, planning, a cycle of sowing and harvest. Ruth doesn't believe this part of the mythology. Obviously, every story has a survivor, she says. The incidents without survivors don't become stories. They don't make it into the record. But I think about Kirker Farley. Gray mutton chops and a crumpled Stetson, knuckles like oak bark. He was a Korea vet who retired to the wilderness once he got home, took a vow of poverty. He spent a winter stranded and snowbound with six other people, all ex-military, all skilled, and tough as nails. The Whistlers picked the group apart, one man at a time, over the space of a month. And finally, Kirker was left alone with his best friend. And that man started to lose his mind, started howling at the moon. Kirker killed him, his best friend, a knife while he slept, gentle as can be. Everyone I've ever told that story to said the answer's right there. Kirker is just a murderer with a story to cover up his wrongdoing. Maybe his case really is that simple. At the beginning, Ruth suspected all cases were that simple. I asked Kirker, though, when we sat down together, 
Knowing they only take one at a time, why kill your partner and isolate yourself? Why not just stay together? Why wouldn't the whole group stay together, arms locked, one unpenetrable unit? He smiled the strangest smile, and he said, A whistler ain't a hound chasing a fox. He's an angler waiting for a shark. Patient, patient, patient. That's very interesting. So this person is claiming the whistlers are the attackers. The whistlers use prey. That the whistlers have a have a thinking. They have a strategy. They are not. I said it in part one or part two. Anglerfish. Yeah. Uh... You did say it. You did mention anglerfish. Now that's even more surprising. He's an angler waiting for waiting a shark. for a shark, which implies. Humans are the are the shark, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. And the whistler is the anglerfish. No, that's not what they're saying. Yeah, he's saying the whistler no, that's not is what's an being angler said. waiting for a shark. A whistler ain't a hound chasing a fox. We, as humans, think they are chasing us by a smell, by an instinct. What he's saying is he's an angler waiting for a shark. Humans aren't the shark. That thing the chef mentioned? I know. The that chef. weird, that, that, that the whistlers are the wall between us and something bad? That could be the shark. I know. No, I understand. And they could be using us to get the fucking shark's attention, like an anglerfish attracting a shark. Wait, wait. So, what is getting our attention? Or what, the what is whistlers are using humans to get the attention of the shark in Why? this situation. Because they're anglerfish. It's a mating ritual. No. No fucking we way. We are all but anglerfish. No, I think this, what he means by he's the angler waiting for the shark, he, as in the whistler, is the angler waiting for the human shark. You think shark means human. Yes. That's okay. That's under That was actually my first impression, but I think this could go both ways, and I think our impressions are going to be like a rug pulled out beneath us. We'll see. We might get answers. We've been out here for months now, and I still don't know what he meant. Even even Bill is like, I guess we're going to find out. I do know I didn't have the nerve to follow my own logic. I couldn't sit idle and let the whistlers dictate terms. No whistlers tonight. When they come back, they'll come in force. They'll be insistent. I made my brother a promise, and I'll keep that promise, but not today, not yet. There's still the coast. December 10th. Today we found Gary Law's luggage in a cabin behind the lodge. Nice. It's, it's nice knowing this is where he came from. It helps put a date on whatever scattered the population of Red Hill. The man brought enough pleated slacks out here to start a catering <laughs> company. Navy and khaki, cufflinks and polo shirts. He's got Baratora brochures and a receipt for a seaplane charter. It's as if this was his first time outside an office. He's got the look of someone they'd send search and rescue for, but we haven't heard anyone flying over. I've heard that's something the whistlers can do. They can change what you hear. When? Mask what's true and plant what isn't, like an anglerfish. Mm-hmm. Lillian tried to record- Or like a baby crying. Lillian, I nodded, folks, I nodded. I agreed, nodded in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> 
Lillian tried to record the whistles one night, but didn't pick anything up. All we get is static on the radio, I wonder. No idea how Gary Law made it so far north by himself, on foot. Why on earth he picked that direction to begin with? Ruth gathered up his plane ticket and put it with his ID. It's documents. Worthless documents. We don't have anybody, anything of Ira's. But we've got a whole damned library on Gary Law. <laughs> I never actually saw the man's body. It was strange timing. I came back to Ruth burying a man hours after I'd left Ira to die. But he didn't die. Didn't speak except to say that we were wrong. It was a warning, just a warning, he said. The whistlers didn't kill anybody. Neither did I, I guess. So now he's trying to justify his actions a little bit, but I I still, I'm, I'm not sure how to buy into the narrative yet. Because it, it, it could go two ways. It could go the way, the, the monster way, which is just naturally... The whistlers are the bad guys. The humans are the are the victims. Yep. Or it could go the Lovecraft way, and it could be whistlers are a a malevolent force to be reckoned with, but they're also protecting us from some something bigger, essentially. Yeah. December eleventh. There's a book in the lounge on traps and snares. I know exactly two traps from Scouts: the one where you make something heavy fall on your prey, a dreadfall and the one where you funnel your prey down into a hole. They've each got their drawbacks. There are knots and nooses in the book, diagrams for cornering bigger game. Ira was a damned Eagle Scout. Ruth likes to remind me of the things he knew that we're both useless for. Today I left her washing the bed sheets in water so hot it turned her arms red. She saw a tick on the carpet, she said. I probably brought it in on my socks, I couldn't help but I get the feeling she doesn't want me around the lodge. There was good rope in the jeep. I made three different leg snares and one neck snare that I don't have high hopes for. The book's got instructions for small elk, boar, bear, and porcupine. I'd be glad to have any of those for dinner, but what I'm more interested in is what might happen if a whistler stumbles across a trap or what they might do to a tethered animal in distress. The academic part of me hasn't frozen to death yet, unlike Ruth. I haven't forgotten why I'm here. I found a pair of pole climbers in the closet. I stopped halfway up a mossy spruce and watched the forest for a good long time once the snares were set. I picked a little clearing where the ground is spongy, not a quarter mile behind the houses across from the lodge, but well hidden. Half the noises of the woods come from the trees themselves creaking and swaying and whispering like they do. From my perch, I could see the roof line of the lodge, smoke from the stove, and endless green in every direction. There are hills between here and the coast. I heard something just as I was returning to the lodge, a low rumble, a growl. I looked back and saw what looked like a dog streaking away from behind the houses and disappearing into the woods. We freed a brindle mutt from one of the houses. He's been following me in and out of the woods, doesn't like me getting too close to his house, the gray shack right on the edge of the opening, and the trees where I usually hike in. He runs with low shoulders and a mean little snarl. I'm sure he's starving. If he finds himself in one of my traps, I may put him down. If I brought him home, Ruth would want to feed him, name him, 
<laughs> I can't afford that. After dark, there had to be 20 whistlers around the lodge. It was a deafening, the sound of them, and all the direction of that gap between the houses, the place where the forest opens up, where I set my snares. I didn't tell Ruth this. Maybe it occurred to her anyway that their activity might have something to do with my time alone out there. I piled wood into the stove and made her put on a pair of socks. She's been biting her nails down to nothing and talking in her sleep. I listen to her through the night, and I don't sleep much myself. December 12th. Ruth isn't eating. She thinks I don't know how little food there is. Thinks I don't notice her pretending to chew an empty spoonful of that yellowish fruit cocktail. When she's rescued, people at work will make a fuss over how thin she is, how hard her arms and legs are now. It sickens me the way we take our bodies for granted, the way we, could, we would sit at desks and count calories and deny ourselves a beer after work. Damn, I'd like a beer tonight. I said it to Ruth just now. She's between me and the stove, braiding her damp hair. She laughed a little. She's pitying me, my lack of imagination, maybe. Or maybe she's hoping I won't ask for the other thing I want. Checked the snares today. Caught some of uh, some kind of fox, dispatched it with Ruth's hatchet. It was gamey and tough as shoe leather, but we ate it anyway. Chewed like jackals till our jaws were sore. There's plenty of salt and pepper, which didn't help as much as you'd think. Nothing in the other traps. The next snare looked disturbed, but the wind might have pulled it off the branches. Hard to tell. Ruth keeps telling me to take it easy, rest in bed, get off my bad leg. I can't bring myself to tell her that keeping still sounds like a death sentence to me. If she had her way, we'd curl up under the blankets together and wait for spring. Spring would come, but we wouldn't see it. The only way any of this matters is as if Ruth makes that alive. When she sees me going to the front door, she asks me to stay where she can see me, stay within shouting distance. I cross the lounge to give her a kiss before I go, but there's no give, no return. She's my sister when she chooses to be. When they come to rescue her, that's what she'll say. That I was her brother-in-law, that I looked after her, that I was a decent help to her in Ira's absence, that I tried. I like that he's losing it a little bit, even though yeah. he kind of mocked that behavior in the beginning. Yeah. December 13th. It's hours after dark. I just made it back. Ruth saw me limping and cheered me out. Says I'm walking too far, putting too much weight on my bad leg too soon. She doesn't know what I do all day. She assumes I'm still going through houses, finding matchbooks and hard candies, lost behind sofa cushions. I'm trying to finish it, but I didn't even get the damn noose around my neck. Impossible to reach a good branch on these evergreens. It had to be high up so they could see me, so she could see me, so she know it was over. It's how we did Jeff, Ira and I. Took him hunting, tied him to a tree, waited until we heard them closing in until his screams were drowned out by the whistling. And the other thing, the screeching and deep growling and the snapping of bones. So they killed Jeff. They used Jeff. Is the whistler 
madness. What about this area? What if it's like a fucking Bermuda Triangle? It just makes people go fucking nuts. That'd be an incredible, quote-unquote, beast. They are doing crazy shit in the middle. They are killing people to get a look at the Whistlers. You know, I want to go on a, a, a look at just a little small tangent. Yeah. You know Mass Effect 3? Absolutely. And the famous theory that I'd like to support is that Shepard had been gradually becoming indoctrinated by the Reapers and that the choices at the ending are appearing in a, in a opposite fashion. The Paragon option would be to let the Reapers live. Hmm. And the bad option was um, killing them. Killing everything. But if you were to suppose that Shepard had been indoctrinated, or close to the point, then actually the good thing is to kill the Reapers because the Reapers are the end-all be-all. So the child entity was a manifestation of Harbinger mm. indoctrinating Shepard. Sure. No, that's a, it's a good theory. I always thought it was kind of off, personally. But I also think that the end somehow justifies like the three games because it, sure. it takes it takes that control and that yeah. that fate out of your hands just for once like the video game has to be a video game and it decides to be a video game at that moment I appreciated the ending of that I, I never hated it I just thought it was you know they expanded they could have done something they could have done something and they chose not to and that's yeah. okay they, they, you played when it was expanded right yeah I played I played everything yeah, yeah. It, it, there were some good romance scenes in that last yeah. bit too and yeah, it was a very good, good job. It was a, it was a good game, but ultimately, what what I'm what I'm am trying to say is that maybe the whistlers are just, maybe it's a noise that drives them fucking insane, and everyone just thinks it's a monster, but it's something else. The whistlers, you know, like the whistlers, are the reaper form of the Ardat Yachi. <laughs> I like how you just keep going back to it. But think about it. Um, You're going to put up a picture of an Ardat Yachi Reaper form on, <laughs> on the video. Right here when it's being said. I don't put up any pictures on the It's not a video. Uh, it's the podcast just on right. YouTube. Uh, yes, yes, yes. You're correct. But <laughs> Google Ardat Yachi Reaper. Oh. You, you'll learn how to spell it. <laughs> you'll learn how to spell it. <laughs> God damn it. So, F- finish your thought. Well... They screamed, the Ardat Yachi Reapers, and they would, like, teleport to you. Sure. And they were very, like, wraith form. Yeah. And Misty, the wraith. Yeah. So, that's, now I'm thinking of that. I don't know. (laughs) I'm going to continue now. (laughs) I'm I'm thinking of it more now because of Ira's description of the bone scrunching, the... Well, yeah, but we're... Yeah, no, that makes sense. So something is, uh, what, feasting on the dead bodies of of people? Yeah. Or they're feasting on people, essentially. Who knows? Who knows? We're, we, we have to... We have to try and comprehend yeah. Bill a little bit more. <coughs> His writing keeps going hot and cold, and I, and I never know what he means. He never elaborates anything. Well, it's, That's I, the story. I don't mean to delay, but... I said, I think part two, well, what if Ira had been, in, like, infected, so to speak? You did, you I did mention, I just... the possibility of it. 
So it's cool now. We're seeing his perspective. And sure. He seems he seems solid of mind, solid of besides you know his ankle, solid of body. You know he's not he's not not taking care of himself like Ruth. Sure. Sure. I mean, perhaps Ruth was the one that was getting sick. Sure. I'd also believe that. We'll see. We'll see. I had every intention of watching them take him, but in the end, I didn't have the nerve. I was sprinting away at Ira's side, deciding the horrific din meant only that we'd done our jobs well, that the whistlers deemed the transaction acceptable, that they would leave us alone for a few more nights. Fuck, so they just let up, they just legit sacrificed someone to the whistlers to, to have some, some more time. Get back in the bad category, Bill. <laughs> we got back to camp and told Lillian we saw the Whistlers attack him, and she believed us because they were silent for a long time after that, almost two weeks. Ira didn't know the stories well, but he was convinced it was the right thing. The lighthouse keeper was certifiable, but he pointed out, rightly, that the only way to survive the Whistlers is to play by their rules. They take one at a time, he said, the night the chopper crashed. We were all around him, his hearth, nodding. We all knew it was true. They take one at a time and they leave one alive. That one alive was going to be Ruth. We agreed, Ira and I, whispered the plan together. It had been years since we'd agreed about anything, but our decision about Ruth was mutual and urgent. He didn't hate me for loving her then, he needed my help. The whistlers make the rules, but we decide the order. We heard them closing in that night and dragged the lighthouse keeper from his bed. He was an old man, no trouble. We didn't take the others. In the morning, we told them we saw him walking off on his own, babbling about sparing the rest of us. We all remembered the pilot screaming about his wife and kids. We were all spooked by then. All willing to believe anything, Jeff marked an empty grave with a broomstick, and Lillian cried and called the man a hero. We camped in the woods that next night, thought we might hike out of Whistler territory before anybody else had to die, but we gave them Jeff next, then Lillian, and then we were down to just us three, just us three, and suddenly all I had in common with my brother was that I wanted to live, and wanted Ruth to live. I fell out of the damn tree before I even found a branch, banked my leg up good. Patient, patient, patient. That's what I keep hearing, kept hearing, as I scraped away the soil and deepened the hole, as I grabbed roots and hauled away stones. It was already there, a collapsed burrow of some kind, so convenient, a receptacle for my darkest instincts. Ira had poor night vision, wore contacts. It was easy in the dark to get him where I wanted him. To scare him into the trap, my hands were freezing. He was a sacrifice, but unaccepted. He was mute when he came back to camp, and even when he could accuse me, he didn't. Why? What? Why did they march him back to our door? He opened his mouth to say something before Ruth fired. In my dreams, I gave him words, an accusation, a condemnation. A warning. Part two. Hi again. Oh, it's Christoph Waltz. No, no. God damn it. <laughs> this will be my last update for a while. <laughs> Wink. 
I think I owe you all a recap of what's been happening for me in real time since I began posting these journals. When I first met the man who gave me Bill's entries, let's call him Mr. H. I was struck <laughs> by his stoic, resigned way of sharing them. He even thought he was a bit territorial about the originals. To date, I have not seen them. He was determined about the idea of sharing the story with a broader audience. I felt silly for the way I'd personalized the narrative earlier on. To tell more people about the Whistlers, to get more people to go out and investigate them, to, to keep the, the wheel going. Yeah. Talking patient, to patient, him, patient. I, I stopped feeling like I had harmed anyone by posting Ruth's journal. I didn't feel as conflicted about it as I did in the beginning. I had one last meeting with Mr. H before posting the first transcript of Bill's journal on No Sleep. Yes, the man lived near me. He was grizzled, older, but not elderly, used a wheelchair, but could walk short distances. Sounds like Bill. I found his company a little frightening at first. He wasn't a no-sleep reader, as you might guess. The backpack I bought from the estate actually belonged to him. He was a family friend of the grandmother who died, and she had been keeping a handful of his old things in storage. The granddaughter sold his belongings without realizing what she was doing. I returned the backpack. I had Ruth's pages to him, though he wouldn't tell me how he came by them or why he'd given them to the grandmother for safekeeping. This was on Sunday before the, before I posted the first half of his transcripts. It seemed like the right thing to do. Yesterday, I went back to Mr. H's house. I went to ask if I could take some final pictures of both of the journals together, and the backpack. I know I told you I wasn't interested in proving anything, but it seemed the final record would be more complete if I could offer at least one photo that encapsulated all of the material. Even comparing the age and the color of the paper would be edifying. When I arrived, there was no answer at the door. It was unlocked, though. We live in a small town. I knocked loudly before letting myself in. I found him in his living room, hanging from a beam, a toppled stepladder on the floor. I'm in tears as I write this. I had never seen a dead body before. Reading about the horrors Ruth and Bill faced, I think none of it was real to me until now. I don't know what he did with the two journals and the backpack. I didn't see them in his house while I waited for the police to arrive. Do I suspect that Mr. H is Bill? A few of you have implied as much, but I'm afraid I can't answer the question now. I never asked them, point, out, point blank. All I can do is leave you with Bill's version of events. We begin on 14th of December, the morning after Bill attempted suicide in the woods beyond the lodge. The idea of an arbitrary provider of shit um, who then kills himself upon inspection... Um, it sounds too neat to be Bill. It sounds too cookie, this, cookie cutter. This is the Whistlers. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. December 14th. I've talked to a few eyewitnesses over the years who swear Whistlers look just like people. A little paler, maybe dead behind the eyes. I spoke to an old woman 
woman. Whoa. I spoke to an old woman, Wilma Darren, a goat herder, who said they can look however they want to look, like a goose or a sheep or a human being. It's when they open their mouths that you hear the truth, and then they change back to their natural form. Uh, she wouldn't describe what that was. She was convinced she'd seen one walking across her field one night all alone, looking like a young man with torn clothes. She brought him inside, fed him dinner, and he didn't speak a word to her. She turned away from him for a moment when she was clearing plates, and when she looked again, he had gone from the table, sprinted silently through the front door. That night, the whistlers came. They trampled her fences in the dark, and she lost half her herd found dough torn to pieces by something. The rangers dismissed her story out of hand. Game Warden had some explanation for her about bears. There was no sign of a bear, though. No prints. Nothing interesting about the dead doe. I wonder now if they weren't half right. Ruth has said she thinks the whistlers could be protecting us. That we are not the sharks, but more like sheep. Sheep at the mercy of wolves and the whistlers are shepherds. I don't know now. I don't know what to believe. The dog's house has the best angle on the woods. I went in through the kitchen door and looked through the back windows. I wonder if they're out there now having a laugh about my abandoned noose. I'm brave inside my own head, brave on paper, but I haven't checked the snares today and likely won't. I'm thinking, actually, that it's about time we made our way to the coast. It's our last option now, and I'm sick over it. Dead if we do, dead if we don't. The leg is killing me. I'm eating Tylenol and aspirin like candy. We have more medicine than food left, but nothing helps much. The worst pain doesn't come from the leg anyway. It comes from the ticking clock, the whistlers at night, Ruth's face. From knowing I'm a coward and a failure, knowing she knows... And without that makeup. She's fucking cool. Ruth's face. <laughs> Ruth's makeupless face. Tonight she drew me a too. bath and sat on the tub's edge to wash my hair. Her legs against my back, her feet in the hot water. We didn't talk, but I rested my head against her thigh and she sort of stroked the back of my ear. My penis. That's enough for now. Are you talking to me? December 15th. Damn dog came for me today while I was siphoning fuel from the van. Out of nowhere. But luckily Ruth saw and came running. She tried to scare the little bastard back into the woods. But he wouldn't go. Just stood whining at the trees. Backing away from the swing of her stick. Whimpering but refusing to flee. Jeff had a theory. Called it the symbiosis hypothesis. Symbiosis hypothesis. He didn't study whistlers much, but he was a big on he was big on cryptids in general. People always ask, given that ecosystems only function because every organism plays a cooperative role, how is it possible that a tertiary predator could go unnoticed? A population of any sustainable size has a measurable appetite. His answer was that there must be larger blind spots to account for elusive species. He thought cryptids must exist in pairs, like a clownfish and an anemone. The anemone 
shields the clownfish from the outside world, protects it with poison that the clownfish is immune to. The clownfish helps the anemone by maintaining it, giving nitrogen, managing parasites, luring the prey. In this way, they operate at a, a, remo a remove from the rest of the ecosystem. They cooperate and might survive when logic says they shouldn't. So the question I now ask you is, <clears throat> is the whistler the clownfish or are they the anemone? And I think they're an enemy. I think we're the clownfish. I still think the shark is very much something else. At least that's what Ruth believes. Bill thinks it's a lot more straightforward, that the whistlers are just the bads. And, you, and that's kind of what you believe. That they're just the bads. Face yeah. value, whistlers are the, are the... They're either... it's This is either one entity doing both the, the angling and the, the mm. apprehending. Sure. Or, or it's, it's two. two. Yes. With this described relationship. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to have to support the latter. I do think that these are two separately acting entities. I'm just, I'm just finding it all too convenient that so many different people are saying things along the lines of there's this something there's something else there's something else at work here it's not just whistlers it's something else yeah i'm not i'm not sure if i buy into the protector role i like the an enemy role i like the angler role of a whistler that it might just be, you know, we're the light, they're the teeth. Kind of thing. But anyway, sorry. Ruth was shouting at the dog, shouting towards the woods, backing up to me to shield me. We heard something out there. As her voice echoed, something called back to her, a scream. I had heard it before. I thought it was a different part of the whisperer's repertoire. A screech. A new inflection that comes over them when they go from stalking to attacking. It's what we heard the night Jeff died. The same gnashing, shrieking, and echoed out of the cave where we left Lillian. Lillian. Lillian with long red hair and adoring eyes for Jeff. She almost got away from us. She fought. Irish shot her in the leg. We told Ruth we were firing on the whistlers when she asked about the sound. Said we could see them like hard shadows moving in the depths of the cave. Lillian wore the night vision goggles. Hmm. I imagined she saw them more clearly than anyone had before. We didn't see anything, only heard them. We heard this sound. A shriek, like a wildcat. Like a deranged woman. The whistling came after, came second came from a different part of the woods and closed in. Could you just humor me? Like, how great would that sound in, in film? Some kind of, like, wild animal yell followed only by, like, a deafening din of whistles. Like, how indie horror would that sound? It's almost like the soundtrack for The Witch, you know? So kind of like... <laughs> and then... No, it's not, it's not like a song and it's not staggered. It's just... I think it's just, I, I said it could either be like a, a tone, because that's what he describes, like a tone. He never mentions wavering in the tone, 
just a whistle, a straight whistle. But I imagine if it was different... It could be different people. Yeah. What different if you sources. used code? What if, whist- what if you invented, like with someone, different types of whistles for codes? For speaking to each other. <laughs> Can you read the whistling came after? The whistling came after came second, came from a different part of the woods and closed in. Now the dog was whining, and then it cowered out of sight, and Ruth turned to raise me to my feet. We were urgent to move, but we weren't pursued. I can't explain the shift like a drop in temperature, a slackening of the wind. The whistlers were not there for us, but there for it. The whistling overtook the shrieking, and then everything hushed at once. They left us alone. It's like Godzilla and that yeah, man. one monster. <laughs> From Godzilla. Godzilla. Yeah, 2014. Muto. Was it a monkey? No, that's King Kong. <laughs> um, Ira said it. Said it in a clear voice in the days after I thought he'd lost his mind. It's a warning, he said. The whistlers didn't kill anyone. What did he see from down in the hole? He said he saw tool marks. He said it to Ruth, but looked at me, wanted to make sure I knew I wasn't forgiven. I used a folding spade. I thought we were a day's walk from Red Hill then, maybe two. You have to give them something if you want to get away. It's what the lighthouse keeper said. It's what the stories say. You play by the rules, you live. Or you have a chance. I gave them Ira, I would do it again. I kept thinking, I should have told Ruth everything. I I actually think I understand it now. I understand why the the whistlers, like, they attract humans, but they like, don't want anything to deal with humans. They yeah. literally want, don't even consume them. They literally just want to feed them to something else. Yeah, they're, they're, they the, might be people. they're the light of the anglerfish. They might be people. Yeah. Essentially. They're, they're, the, they're, the, they're not just... They're, in this case, they're not but they're simply a, for, a tool. But they're opposite forces. Yeah. Yeah. They're not simply a tool because they uh, think. They they act independently. They are animate. Yeah. Here she was standing in the street with a stick of firewood and no idea what's out there. I hit my head. I wasn't much use, but I heard it again. The shrieking sound and a rumble beneath it. Atmospheric. Eerie like thunder than the whistling. The dog was gone by then. But I can't help thinking he's part of it, too. <laughs> the hair was spiked on his neck, eyes wide. We humans, we've got a, a way of personalizing things, of assigning motives, emotions, help or harm. Patient, patient, patient. Ruth took me inside and cleaned my wounds, stitched up my leg. I'm bruised everywhere from my fall from the tree. She didn't ask about that. Maybe she assumed it was old bruising still, or just more evidence that I've been pushing myself when I shouldn't. We shared the last of the gin. It's battery acid, but somehow I couldn't get enough. I could see it getting to her as the evening got dark. Not the gin, but the fear. What if they were actually drinking battery acid to <laughs> commit suicide? 
I took that literally for a second. Yeah. But it was battery acid. We were going to die. <laughs> we go to hell. I couldn't get enough of it. Because we're going to hell. <laughs> I forgot that you were there for that, too. <laughs> <laughs> the screech we heard, the anxiety in the dog's eyes, the feeling that the longer we're out here, the less we know. A very final sort of despair, like she might collapse and never get back up again, even after everything we've done. I couldn't have that, so I rose and took her in my arms and held her, and when I realized there was no way to tell her it would be alright, I kissed her and she let me. I heard her sighing, and I felt the weight of her against me letting go. There was something tight in her face, but like desperate resignation than love. Maybe that she was my own pain getting in the way, my need. I brought her to the lounge and pulled her down with me on the bed, hurting everything, everywhere, and not caring. She undressed us both. I wonder, now that she's asleep, if she's dreaming of me or him. Look at Tedron's tits! You, you keep taking them off your shirt more and more as the story goes on. By the time it's over, you're going to be naked. You're going to be the exact <laughs> To be honest, my stomach is protruding. I might be the first case of actual male pregnancy, <laughs> and you can assume that gender, folks. Just say the last line for me. It's funny. I'm not afraid of death tonight. Because I got laid. <laughs> That's the that's that's the, that's the thing. Opium. You have sex. Opium. <laughs> okay, oh. stop. Stop it. You're not oh, even I'm wearing the shirt. I can speak now. <laughs> yeah, you can speak now. I feel like you'd want to speak about this. <laughs> I want to see. Opium. Opium. She sounds like a. Oh, sounds like oh, a oh, 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 Ruth. Opium. What if Please she was? Stop. Can I what if she? Now? What if she was Asian? So you don't know if she's saying Bill or beer. Oh, oh beer! Oh, beer! Oh, beer! Oh, sucks. So she's she's suddenly like a shogun. Beer What do you mean, my beer? December sixteenth, a day I will not soon forget. Thank you, Star Wars: The Last Jedi. The last Jedi. <laughs> I'm gonna get Ruth. I'm gonna get Ruth to the coast. To the coast. I decided this morning. Red Hill is a death trap. Slow or fast, we'll die here if we stay here. And we have the Jeep. Maybe we'll go fast enough that the screeching thing won't follow us. Maybe the whistlers will close in on it once we're gone. They'll kill it. That's what Ruth thinks. She thinks it's a monster. Something old and unspeakable. Something the people of this region have been conflating with the Whistlers since time immemorial. She thinks the Whistlers are on our side, that they're keeping it at bay. Time is a factor. My leg is in bad shape. The bite needs antibiotics, and we don't have them. She tried to get me to stay in bed, but I won't. There's too much work to do. I got the fuel and gear loaded in the jeep. Then in mid-afternoon, I decided to walk back out towards the snares. I heard her yelling for me to not go too far, but she doesn't understand. I can hear the whistlers all the time now. 
It's not just at night, and it isn't just when they're putting on a show. I can hear them talking through the day, hear their conversations out under the trees. They get clearer and clearer every minute. Soon I think the whistling tones might turn into words, something I can parse. It's a relief to be inside my brother's mind like this. Ira wasn't afraid of them. That night it hailed. I have nightmares about that night. They marked him out for understanding. And now they've marked me. And I'm grateful. They'll leave Ruth alone. I went back out to the snares because I was ready, at last, to give them their opportunity. I'm limping. Easy pickings if I'm wrong. I went as far as the hanging tree and got the pistol ready. Hope feels like madness. I want, I want to see them. The whistlers. The shrieking thing. I want to see them for myself before I die. That's not too much to ask, is it? Oh, no. The murmurs became chatter, became whistling. They were calling me out of the clearing where I'd set my snares away into the trees. I followed them with measured, trusting steps. Somehow I knew they wouldn't leave me behind. They were leading, not fleeing. The snow had an icy crust and... Soon I wasn't just following sound and emptiness, I was following tracks, dog prints, and I looked ahead and I saw the dog, the same one, standing in a treeless space where the woods ended. It was the edge of a cliff, snow and granite and scraggly trees, I could hear moving water, and the dog was staring at me into my eyes like he was possessed of a human mind. Are you one of them? I said. And the dog turned his back to me. He whacked his tail once and ran straight ahead. Ran straight off the face of the cliff. And the whistlers, they were closer than I knew. Their voices erupting behind me and ahead from down in the gully and right at my back. And what I don't know, what I can't know, is whether he jumped for me or for them. Whether they were making noise over his death or my witnessing it, whether Ruth and I matter any more or less to the whistlers than the hares and the foxes or the birds, we've hunted along the way. I walked to the cliff's edge as a matter of reflex. It was a very long way down. A sheer granite face with icy lines of runoff. I didn't see the dog. I saw cars. A dozen maybe fewer, cars and trucks driven clear off this cliff face, crashed and mangled, blackened where they'd burned. It happened before we reached Red Hill, but not long before. It was a graveyard, a fresh one. Here lies the whole population of Red Hill, a sign might as well say. It's one thing to be backed against an edge. It's another thing to drive clear off. There weren't many bodies in view, but the ones I could see were removed from vehicles. Thrown? Dragged? It's hard to say. Ruth got a paper published in a good journal a few years ago on the subject of mass hysteria. When a group of people panics all at once, they become like a single organism. They might see things that were never there remember events that never occurred. Everybody defers to the loudest voice and suddenly the whole herd is spiraling to some terrible end at once. 
There's a Whistler story that takes place after a shipwreck. Twenty people get stuck together on the same beach. It was a fishing boat, so they're orderly people. They've got hierarchy. Everyone's got a job. But they realize there are whistlers near, and the captain starts telling them stories from when he was a boy. Stories of how the whistlers will take the group down one at a time. How their minds will be compromised. They'll turn against each other. So they draw straws and choose an order. And with great efficiency, every night, they send one man out into the woods with a torch and nothing else. They assume they'll be rescued in a matter of days, that each sacrifice is for the greater good, buying the group just a little more time. The chosen man never comes back, and the group never gets attacked by the whistlers. Confirmation bias, Ruth said. The rescue boat never comes, and they continue in this way until the captain is the only man standing. It happened like clockwork each man thinking his sacrifice was keeping the others safe, that it was all a matter of practicality and fairness, and maybe that their own strength would keep them alive when it was their turn in the wild. Who knows what they saw in the darkness? Maybe the whistlers called them onward, showed them paradise. Maybe the people who drove off this cliff saw a road, a neat suspension bridge. Something happens in the mind. Ruth hears her baby at night. The captain did the talk show circuit for a few years, then killed himself. Ruth says this is the most damning part. The captain knew it was just a story. He knew the whistlers weren't real. A little sleight of hand. He picked the order. I picked the order. I think it was a message. The dog, the whistling. There was no shrieking sound, no sound of danger. Just me and the fallen bodies and the cliff's edge. The whistlers were daring me to take matters into my own hands keep my promise. December 18th. Ruth is driving us to the coast. Things changed for me this morning when I realized we were really going. The weather was good, foggy, but not snowing. When we get there, it's over. The coast is the last place we can go where we might get help, where we might find someone living who can get us out of here. She looks tired, her hands are tight on the wheel, windshield wipers squeaking as they clear the condensing mist. I've thought so much over the years about what she deserves. Not me, not this. She knows how I feel. She's known since the night Catherine died. It was just mom and me in the hospital waiting room, late drinking scorched coffee and pretending to read magazines. The doctor came to say the baby had passed away, and then they wouldn't let me into the room with Ruth. Only the father is allowed. Wait until visiting hours, the nurse said. I raged at the woman with her pinned back hair and sickly pink scrubs. Mom kept asking what had gotten into me. I told the truth. I broke down crying and said I was in love with Ira's wife. I didn't realize until that moment that I was jealous of him. Jealous and angry. He was the only person allowed in that room with her. And he wasn't there. He vanished to Tuscaloosa or something, or somewhere to, to listen to drug rep lectures about catheters. Catheters. <laughs> catheters. To chicken shit to be a man when it mattered right up until the end. I told that nurse I was the father. Ira, Douglas, 
Gattinger, I said, poking my finger into her clipboard. We all knew I was lying, but Ruth said to let me in. It was so late at night, I held her in the hospital bed with all the tape and the gauze and an IV in her arm. Catherine came by emergency C-section, so it was a double trauma. She was stuck in the recovery bed for Catherine's entire week of life, and there was so little I could do. Maybe I was taking advantage. I don't know. My mom looked in on us that night, saw us. She'll have her own ideas about this once Ruth is, is rescued. She'll be fascinated to know why I let my brother die. The drive was short. I closed my eyes against the window and opened them, and we'd arrived. Gray sand and the pale sun in the sky, an icy dock. There's a boathouse, a shack, and enough trash in the bushes to say people have been here, but not recently. Not since the corruption came to Red Hill. The corruption, that's what Kirker called it, as he told me in the story. As he, as he told me the story, it was a separate thing, something the whistlers brought with them, a corruption in the hearts of men. Was he talking about fear, the ordinary fear of the unknown, and what it does to a person? Ruth saw me crying and walked out to the dock. She can't look at me. I know she knows how badly I feel. She knows this could be over for her if I was man enough to be steady with the news. No, she doesn't know. Doesn't accept me to be the one who dies. Doesn't know what I've done to keep us safe for this long. She's a good woman, virtuous like the long-suffering mother in a fairy tale. If I told her the truth, we'd have an argument about whether it was necessary. Whether... I am not just as bad as whatever lurks under the trees. I might be. I have my reasons. But now she's run out of hope and doesn't think either of us will make it out alive. She turned her face into the wind, sharp, and started walking up the beach. Do you hear that? She said. I listened. It was faint, but there. Whistlers. Whistlers coming for me, the man who picks the prey. But they didn't want Ira, didn't take him. Or they took his mind, but not his body. What about Lillian? What about Jeff? What was really happening beneath all that screaming? Don't go, Ruth, I said. She was walking up the sand, going to where she could see across the beach. But she wasn't hearing whistlers. She was hearing the baby again. I don't remember Catherine crying. She was too small, too weak, didn't have time. There's a boat, Ruth said, looking winded, maybe happy. It was something to do, an option to try. I told her I couldn't go back to Red Hill. I intended that she would should go back, keep warm, wait for the rescue. She could make it once I was gone. In any of the stories, she wouldn't make it. But we dragged ourselves toward the boat on the unforgiving coastline. The sand became craggy basalt, became forest, weedy and thorny and near impenetrable. She clambered onward almost like an animal, on all fours up. Boulders, always moving forward, always toward the boat. And every step brought us closer to the whistlers. I could hear them growing louder, hiding in the trees. Dozens, at least. The hollow, howling. 
but everything else too. The clicking of teeth, the shifting of weight. No. No. They know the way. She's gonna jump, my brothers. <laughs> Do not jump, my queen. Yeah, man. Fuck off. You're gonna fucking jump off the I will jump first, man. Why are you Jamaican? It's Uganda, you fuck. Cool. Where is that? You do not oh know the boy! Like Lion King! Africa, you cunt. <laughs> My name Please keep is <laughs> General Butt-Fucking-Naked. Because when I kill you, I'll be butt-fucking-naked! And every step brought us closer to the whistlers. <laughs> I could hear them growing louder, hiding in the trees. Dozens, at least. The hollow howling, but everything else, too. The clicking of teeth. The shifting of weight. Yes, there are bodies beneath the voices. A strange corporeality. Something I may never succeed in defining. We stood at the edge of the shallow, gently lapping water. Suddenly, she was an expert on boats and tides. It was <laughs> Sounds like my mom. Sounds like she needs to get back in the kitchen. Suddenly, she was an expert on boats and tides. It was a mistake. It was a mistake coming so far. The boat was a weathered shell of itself, flimsy, and with tattered sails and frayed lines. It wouldn't take her as far as she needed to go. But she insisted. She said she didn't hear the whistlers. She heard the baby and Ira. Ira singing, a phrase so foreign I can't even imagine it. <laughs> she heard them behind her on the boat, calling her to the false safety of the water. All I could hear was ahead of us in the woods. I heard whistlers and their waiting jaws. I heard the danger that they were protecting her from. And it occurred to me that maybe the whistlers were offering another bargain. Put Ruth on the boat, let her go. They were offering me a chance to die on my feet, pistol in hand. Yes, I was willing. I was willing if it meant somehow that Ruth would be safe. I told her to get on the boat, moved like I was right behind her, it stopped and turned. I walked up the beach toward the whistlers, toward the edge of the trees where they hid, where they called for me. And soon Ruth saw what I'd done. She saw I didn't follow her onto the sailboat, that I was away and the tide was rising. While I was facing the whistlers, facing the end, she was screaming over the whistlers so she could hear them now. She was screaming behind me, screaming about something I should see. Run, Bill, can't you see it? I saw it, the dog. Gray and brown, sharp, forward ears. Dappled dark on the sides. I fell to my knees thinking like a fool that I'd, I had them figured out. I was supposed to follow the dog, I thought. Supposed to give myself up, so I did. My legs weren't working and I crawled. I crawled over sharp stone and weedy gravel. I stared the dog in the eye. It was silent, like Wilma Darren's young man. A whistler, I decided. Shade of the woods, they're called, further north. A whistler in the shape of a dog. It was coming toward me tentatively. I heard Ruth's voice, a complaint high in her throat, harsh, my name, screaming my name. But the whistlers drowned her out. Their voices rose to screeching to a din, and they descended on the dog right in front of my eyes. The dog was not a dog. 
not a whistler, something else. Something that died with a moan like an earthquake. They tore it apart. The effort went on for many long minutes, long enough for me to realize the dying thing looked nothing like a dog, not in the least. It had long black limbs, sharp angular, with joints protruding, short coarse hair that shone. It bled the same deep red of any mammal, long toes curled with black claws, flickering nerve impulses. Part of my mind says it was a bear, black fur, enormous stature, and that low growl, dark and strong in a way that grips your heart. It could have been a bear, could have been any number of completely familiar things. There's another part of me that knows it wasn't a bear, knows it isn't something I've seen ever before, isn't something I can describe. And the whistlers took it down. I got back on my feet, swayed, once before falling asleep. The last thing I heard was the snapping of bones, and in my fevered mind, they were Jeff's bones, and Lillian's, and Ira's, and Ruth's. They were Catherine's tiny bones. The whole misadventure was my fault. It is, isn't it? I picked the order. It all falls to me. I didn't wake up until the following morning, and by then the woods were silent. Ruth and the boat were gone. Alright, so here's a question. Do we believe him? Is he a reliable narrator? It pretty much seems like everyone is batshit, so do we really do we really think that there was something else that maybe imitated the dog? You know, I, I tend to think of John Carpenter when I hear things that look like they're an animal but don't end up being that animal, like I don't know. Frankly, I, I kind of imagined the, the dog beast from over the garden wall. You have beautiful eyes. <laughs> the dog that didn't look anything like a dog. It wasn't a bear. But it was, it was kind. Of, but it was big and it had spindly legs. So yeah, I'm gonna say the dog from over the garden wall. But yeah, do you buy it? Well, I mean, he started writing allegedly right after Ruth had killed Ira. So he he probably had intended for an account. To keep track of sure, but but the real but the real assessment here is he's been detailing so much of his own shit. How do you know he's not just fucking insane? Again, goes back to the whole uh, Commander Shepard indoctrination idea. (laughs) Sure, yeah, actually. Like, how do we know we're being indoctrinated? All right, that's a. I mean, come on. Sure. In society. Sure. I mean, like, how would I know if I was getting fucked? Okay. If I wasn't. December 9th. I was. December 19th. Kids listen to this, all right, man? And I was. When did the dog stop being a dog? And turn into a cat. I don't know. The wound on my leg refuses to heal. I can feel the pain of it in my entire body and ache in time with my heartbeat. Oh, right. Can you please control yourself? Oh my god. It's just this stuff. It is, again, protruding first case male pregnancy. Yeah, yeah, can you not do it in front of me while I'm trying to read? Forgive me. I, Damn. I apologize, sirs. 
if I had money, I'd give it's it to okay, you, but I Christoph don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wilma wouldn't tell me what the whistlers nope. really... Please stop. Hey, just... <laughs> Being decent, covering it up. Hey, you know, I guess all of our nipples are kind of hard right now. No! no. This is soft. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Wilma wouldn't tell me what the whistlers really looked like. There's a reason for that. Good reason. They were drawing curtains in our minds. Letting Ruth hear her daughter again, showing me another pitiful creature alone in the woods. I don't know. But I have my suspicions. I think we personalized the story when we shouldn't. They're not protecting us. That much is obvious now. Should have been obvious a long time ago. Anglers, waiting for sharks. Ruth and I, we're not sharks. Patient, patient, patient. We're bait. I see that now. We're bait for something bigger. Is that what they were doing with Ira? Keeping him on the hook? Something took his arm, but the whistlers kept him on, the, on his feet, kept him walking, marked him, and now they've marked me. Put my scent on the wind. Oh my god. Yeah, that makes sense. That's what I was saying. Okay, but yeah, I guess I wasn't understanding what you were sure. saying. Sure. He, he explained it in a much more streamlined way. Yeah. I couldn't walk back to the Jeep tonight. I got halfway, was hobbling. This leg is close to useless. I imagine Ruth's hand on it, telling me to stay awake, to stare down the pain. When I find her, I won't let us be separated again. We'll fight our way back out of this, back to back, keep moving down the coast. If they want one of us, they'll have to take us both. That was her mindset, the right mindset. We're not the prey. I see that now. Human beings are collateral damage. No, I'm not certain. There are too many stories, memories told by people with polluted minds, corrupted. I don't see the boat. No lights or fires. I had to move further inland than I liked to find a trail. She's safe. She has to be. Safe in the boat, in the water. Safe because she's a terrific shot and the toughest person I know. But is her mind safe? Is she safe when she closes her eyes? The whistlers were getting to her, planting lies. I couldn't make a fire, but there's no snow out here under the dense trees, not yet. December 21st. It's been a few days, I think three nights, since I saw Ruth. I reached the boathouse, but the jeep is gone. There are tire tracks to follow, down the beach, through the mud. I slept half the day yesterday. The pain is blinding. I was lost in the woods, turned around. It was further than I thought, and the trees all look the same once you're off course, when every step costs so much. Excuses, excuses, excuses. What will excuses, I- Excuses, excuses, excuses. What will I do if she doesn't get? What have I done? I froze overnight, buried myself with moss, and this morning I realized I could just stay down. I regretted ever leaving Red Hill. A stove and blankets? If we were going to die anyway, why not die together? I was so, I was so sure she'd have, have a chance at the coast. When I find her, she'll tell me what an idiot I was. She'll tell me she loves me. She's, she said it that night after the dog bit me. She was falling asleep, her cheek on my shoulder, my hand in her hair. I love you, Bill, she said, and she closed her eyes. I just smiled and figured she already knew how I felt. Now I wish I'd said it back. I wish in the darkness I had more of that moment to remember. I love you, Ruth Gattiger. It's the greatest pain in my life, but I do. 
December 24th, I made it to the Jeep. It's parked askew in a marshy area where the mud would be deadly if it wasn't freezing over. Out of gas. She didn't get far. I wonder if she was running the engines for heat. Couldn't blame her. It's raining little, freezing mist. I'm inside the Jeep and she isn't here. Her backpack is slumped in the back seat and her pens and journals stuffed inside a plastic bag right at the top of the pack. The revolver is here. Empty. I found a good five yards from the Jeep, on the ice, but no Ruth. I've got three in the pistol. Her last journal entry is a suicide note, or that's how it seems. She figured I was dead and tried to drive south, then ran out of fuel. If she killed herself, she'd be here beside me. I suppose an animal might have dragged her away if she wasn't in the vehicle. It says, here, take my body back to Oregon. She wouldn't have been so careless as to do it out in the open, not when she'd had the option. Not when she knew what was lurking close by. It's too dark to go looking now. I'm exhausted in a way that feels almost soft. Welcome. That's the cold getting into me. It's deep now, the chill setting into my bones. Maybe I'll see Ruth tonight. Maybe I won't wake up. December 25th, Christmas Day. Merry Christmas, friends. Her body was dragged. Oh, Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Merry Christmas. You would be so kind as to shut up. Oh. Christmas Day, her body was dragged. It was easy to see in the light of morning. I stuffed her pack into mine and went looking. There are no footprints in the mud. Hers, leading toward... No, there are footprints. Wow, on my apologies. <laughs> there are footprints in the mud. Hers, leading toward where I found the revolver. No blood on the ice. A disturbance where she might have fallen, and then a smear in the mud where she was taken away. Up across the ice and through gravel through sand, inland, into the woods again. Yeah, no, that's her body being dragged. That's absolutely not her. She didn't walk off, right? Nah. Maybe she did. She just kind of leaves her journal. I guess we wouldn't know what she did after that. I got knocked out, and then got dragged. I followed the path without weighing the idea first. It seemed to her worth more to them alive. Ira. They kept going. They kept Ira going for more than a month. He had a rifle the day he saw their true faces, the day the corruption got a hold of him. If I had it finished sooner, time out. I want a time out. The corruption got to him, but this still doesn't explain the arm thing. He lo He had lost an arm. There's well. He had already, in a previous paragraph, explained that he thinks the shrieking thing, the dog, got one of their arms and. He managed to get away from it, or they managed to get it away from him, okay. and they foraged him to keep using him as bait. Okay. So they healed his arm and took care of him to keep him dangling out there like a worm on a hook. Interesting. Yeah, Bill, he said that. If I had finished it sooner, Ruth would be safe now. She'd be walking south, wouldn't she? Free to go. We're worth too much to them, the whistlers. Too useful. That's why they never finish us off. A survivor with a good story keeps the cycle going. Keeps the humans coming. Ruth understood that. The mystery is a hunting tactic. Our curiosity 
is what kills us in the end, and that, that, and our companions. I, I do think humans are are a lemming of a race. We will blindly follow those in charge to our we're deaths. Monkeys, we're monkeys. Absolutely. Fish, you know, or insects, birds. We're all these stupid animals. Orangutans. But we have free will. Give me a fucking break. <laughs> December 26th. Twice I thought I'd lost the trail, but I didn't. The trail changed. It crossed the road from Red Hill and led through a brushy field through snow. I almost turned to walk to the lodge. Pros and cons, another day or two of this, and I might drop. But turning away could mean losing the trail. Here in the field, the drag marks turn into footsteps. Uneven, like she's dragging her feet. Bare feet. Her shoes came off along the way. I found them. Tied them to my pack. She's a fucking whistler now. Yep. Or she's corrupted, as Ira. If she's walking, maybe she got away. So I'll follow. I won't stop. The tracks are obvious now in the snow. As long as I keep ahead of the weather, this will all be over soon. South. She's leading me south. Where it's warm. December 29th. She's going to Florida. The trail, the tracks, they ended today. I was walking in Ruth's bare footsteps, the dragging strides, and suddenly they weren't just hers. There was a second set of the same steps, and a third, all dragging and running together. And I was so mixed on my feet on the tracks on picking Ruth's tracks apart from the others. I didn't realize I was walking in a circle, a circle on a ridge exposed, and the tracks leading me around and around a boulder, big and gray, marked with a vein of white quartz. There's no pathway from here, just a continuous loop of footprints. So many of the snow has cleared, leaving mud and dead plant matter, leaving a ring like the one we found encircling the lodge on our first morning in Red Hill. Then my instinct was to flee, to get Ruth the hell out of that ring if I could manage it, or feed myself to the whistlers, give them what I thought they wanted. Now the circle didn't mean as much to me, or I had no energy for fear. Ruth is walking among the whistlers. For how long? For however long she could stay on her feet. It's not symbiosis. Whatever it is, it starts in the mind, in the head. Maybe they were all like us once, like Ira and Ruth. Maybe that's why they always let one person go. Teller Rickson, a folklorist, that was his theory. He thought there was no cryptid in the woods, no separate predator species, that the whistlers themselves were just people corrupted, pushed so far by the harshness of the wilderness that they transformed into something else to survive. Pure need and fear, hunting in a pack. Maybe deep down they have human hearts. Maybe part of them wants to see us survive. Like those uh, Morlocks you talked about in part one. Time travel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Morlocks. I'm just mind blown. Yeah. <laughs> I climbed up onto the boulder, stayed inside the ring, it was late evening, and I figured they'd come for me. Maybe I'd see Ruth among them. That would be worth it. That and the stars. I sat on the boulder and could see it across the valley. The snow and the distant gray ridges. The sky turning purple and the opening eyes of the stars. 
but the whistlers never spoke up around me. They never came. And the longer I looked, the more I saw across the valley. I saw a hard, unnatural lane, a road, and before long there was a light on it, a moving light, headlights, winding up a neighboring ridge. And there were other lights, Christmas lights, window lights, the spangled glow of a small town. Another red hill, but this one populated, this one alive. Ruth left me her flint and steel, paper. I started the fire and they came for me the next morning. They came for me the way they would have come for Ruth if I hadn't failed. In a chopper, with blankets, with ointment for my cuts and a splint for my leg. I might lose it, someone said. They'll only take it off at the knee. What happened? The ranger hollered over the chopper blades. The whistlers, I said, garnering myself a look of mixed pity and disbelief. Well, what are the whistlers? He said. There's no explaining what's actually out there, and I see that it, I see that is by design. The ineffability is the trap. I shook my head the way Wilma Darren shook her head at me all those years ago, and said the only thing that made sense at the time. Patient, patient, patient. That's the end. Huh. Okay, so Bill is the dude who killed himself after having to retell the story, which is the same as um, Kirker. They say Kirker talked about leading people to the slaughter and then killing himself when he got back into town some, some odd 20 years later. Interesting. So maybe it's just a fucking line. It's a rinse and repeat. I didn't want to bring it up in the middle of the story because I thought we were going to watch it one day, but I'm not sure. Um, you, Frowns, and I have talked about Midnight Meat Train. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen it? Not yet. Have you ever seen Midnight Meat Train? No. Just because I feel like you'd fall asleep if I put it on, I'm going to have to talk about it and spoil a little bit. That's right. Bradley Cooper is a photographer. Young Bradley Cooper is a photographer in New York City, and he snaps a photo of a butcher on the way to and from work on a subway train, and he is haunting because he's played by a pretty weird-looking actor, and he's big and... He just has this aura, and he never says a word, never does anything. But when we cut away, Bradley Cooper has nightmares of this dude on the train at night fucking killing people in the trains and taking their bodies and hiding them somewhere. He keeps following the guy. The guy gets in his face. It gets scary. He finds out the guy's a butcher, you know, all this this shit. He breaks into his apartment. He sees that this guy has, like a weird apothecary set in his um, bathroom that he, like, collects um, things that, like, fall off of his body. Like, he's, like, missing things on his skin and shit. Um, it's, It's very interesting, and you never really... He wears a very detailed necklace, though, that you never see because he's always wearing a really nice suit. But he's just a guy with a giant fucking meat. Uh, tenderizer, and he just beats people in with that shit. Oh my Jesus. So anyway, you're watching this entire movie, and you're just like, okay, it's a fucking dude tracking a serial killer in fucking New York. Great. Fucking curveball left field home run last act of the movie, the subway, he finds a way to 
get onto the, the meat train, what he thinks is the train that this guy kills everyone on. To really to think the dreams out. And I also think to save his girlfriend who went looking for him. Some arbitrary reason to end the movie. They end up in an underground tunnel beneath New York City, and it turns out this guy is the fucking proctor of humanity sacrificing humans to fucking subterranean reptile lords, fucking monsters that eat human-like cattle. And then there's a huge there's a huge debacle because then the guy dies and naturally someone needs to take his place for the good of humanity. Bradley Cooper gets fucking plucked. So I'm trying not to listen because I actually want to watch it. Oh no, you can watch it. it. What I'm finding is that the spoilers will only give you anticipation for the moment. It is mind blowing. Well, it's like Cabin in the only Woods. Only human. It's like Cabin in the Woods, which we watched together last time you you came over. Yeah, fantastic movie, and it's a lot. It's a lot like that, but it's kind of like Sam Raimi horror-ish. So it's very, it's just very good. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cult classic of mine, and I and I love it. But that that Lovecraft twist that just hits you at the end out of nowhere brings the movie to a whole new fucking level, and. Whistlers has done that as a story. This, I, I, I guess I am comparing this Reddit No Sleep writer to a seminal fiction auteur who will be remembered for the rest of his fucking life. Like, Lovecraft will further remain in history. But, you like... Know, basically, parts, but this, one, parts one and two are The Force yeah. Awakens. And... and <laughs> Part three, Bill's perspective, is certainly not The Last Jedi. <laughs> Don't break my candy canes. I've only that ever was my seen gavel. Anakin. Yeah, he's only seen the prequel series. And that was like 13, 14 years ago. Yeah, man. He's he's not into Star Wars. Uh, anyway, um, they did so many good things throughout this series. And I... And, and I I do think part three was payoff. It was excellent. But anyway, back back to it. Um, what? Yeah. I just have to yeah. talk about it for at least ten more minutes. Yeah. Um, oh, titty fucking. <laughs> Jesus. Starting from the Christ. top. Starting from the top, it's just like they didn't they didn't tell you anything. They threw you right in the middle of the story, and they made you think it was innocent. Arguably, Ruth's entire story is the innocent eye. It's the it's the uncurious. It's the vanilla. It's it's the this is how things happen because I'm a girl and here's my diary. So she t- she tells it like it is. She's very literal, whereas Bill is very mental. His is his is his thoughts and concerns and in the. And his plans, he's a schemer, you know, like, he's a, he, this is very much an accounting, he's, he's accounting for his actions through this entire diary. He led multiple people to their deaths, and he recounts it, like he was there. We get it, he's an accountant. Jesus Christ. He fucking counts and does taxes, we taxes him. So Ruth was more literal. It was more blog, you know, like there there's a different level of 
severity in Bill's in Bill's account. Yeah, I mean, he almost sounded like he was. I don't know. It almost sounded like detective work. Yeah, but I also even from the beginning, it he just he reeks of this like high on his own supply kind of thing, like reeking of his own shit and just eating it, you know? So it's just like, I don't, I believe everything he said because I want to believe that there is some kind of crazy outside force. Like really, like really, after having listened to this, what can you definitively say a whistler is? He never really describes it. A whistler is a reaper. He said it was like a curtain. He said, you want to know what the whistlers are? They're a curtain over... The way you see things or the way you think about things. And I was just like, what? No, give me a literal fucking description. What he described was the thing, the shrieking monster, black dog-like long arms, big claws. Yeah, tying in the dog and then it not being the dog, but this weird creature, I thought it was effective. I just like that it kind of gave purpose to the fact the Whistlers are... Assholes. They're not evil. They're just assholes. Yeah. Not outright, at least. Um, but that's really all I have to say about it. Like, I really liked the writing. I liked the characters. They were they were compelling enough for me. Um, I do think Bill was conniving enough. I, at least I believe it that he would take out his brother to um, to be able to spend more time with with Ruth. And make sure he was the last one with Ruth. He might just be saying that it was their plan, but I guarantee you, like, he even said it. He was like, Ira doesn't want to die just as much as I don't want to die, but I'm also not dying right now, so I'm going to kill Ira. (laughs) Like, you know, so when Ira came back, like, I kind of saw that coming. The whole, like, yeah, no, I'm already gone. Like, he didn't even try to tell Ruth that, like, his brother tried to kill him and force him out. Yeah. Like he was done. He he had succumbed. And that's and that's another thing. Does the does the ending the the many feet, the dragging of feet, the um just everything about the feet in the ending section that you read, is that saying that the whistlers are in fact that last human that goes that goes crazy? Are they humans gone nuts? Yeah, but they, because they, they, he also he cited that cryptid the cryptozoologist at the end too, saying that he just assumes that it's a it's a race of people that just live on a different plane mentally in the wilderness. That'd be way creepier. No, I think that's I think ultimately that's what Bill confirmed in this part three. I think when you go back and you re-listen to what yeah. you were saying, I think you're gonna find that the fact that that one pair of feet turned into a mass, like the the way that he even compares it. He's like, it's the same mass of feet that was going around Red Hill when he was staying there. And it would kind of make sense that like proto primal humans are the thing using humans as bait for a beast, for El Bisto, you know, which just happens to be some kind of mutant dog who the fuck cares it's a fucking beast and they're trying to kill the human with they're, they're they're trying to use humans to lure out the beast it's it's caveman 101 yeah hey death when you said proto i immediately thought proto baggins <laughs> you you make me regret 
being being a part of my life. Of your life. <laughs> <laughs> That's not it's true. all right. I regret I being a part of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, no one regrets being a part of anyone's life as much as Tenron regrets being a part of his own life. <laughs> yeah. You know what Blue McFrowns Frowns? McFrowns, Frowns, Frowns, yeah. It's his road or the he road. <laughs> I don't know what he just Who's said. Whose road? All that I know is someone has roads. <laughs> Lots of them. Yo, I got fucking roads right here. Anyway, we can't even joke about that. I um, totally meant it's his way. Or the highway. <laughs> what? It's his highway? road or dick suck. It's his way. Anyway. Or the highway, but I would want to rhyme with his, so it's his way. Stop Love it. is the highway. Anyway, is there anything else? Oh, is there anything God, else you wanted to talk about? Just because I feel like we're not giving it as much credit as it as I feel like it's due. It was a very good series. I thought it was like ten out oh, of ten. The series the was excellent. Best. The third fucking best series I've ever fucking heard in my entire life. That's why this we keep series, them around. This That's series. Why we keep this one around. This this series just just brought me <laughs> over the edge. Pushed yeah. me off yeah. and like fucking yeah, brought, brought you me there. back. Brought you there, huh? And it just like yeah. man, I'm just oh, like yeah. what is fucking life it brought anymore? You there, didn't like it? Bill. Yeah, tell me and Ruth. Tell me all about how yeah. and, and Bill Do more and of it. Ruth. I like it. And drop going. And it was just And like, all the things. Fucking Yeah. Oh, I just like I just yeah. fucking yeah. Yeah. It was all of these things. That's oh, what was going on. Oh, that's why. That's why we do the podcast, everyone. This is it. That's the. That's it. That's the reason we. The Bill's account of the Whistlers, everyone. Whistling Dixie. There. That's the end. Whistling. That's the end of it. Bill's dick. <laughs> <laughs>